Welcome to the eight. We are wrapping up a series titled Enduring Strife. But I want to talk about something we, 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 we've, like, we all agree. We don't need to preach or elaborate on this part. That life is hard. Life is difficult. Like we can all agree upon that. So there, there's nothing new about that. But I do want to highlight about an epidemic within the pandemic. All right, not a good timing. Give me one second. The epidemic within the pandemic. So we all get the pandemic and, and, and we're in the midst of it. But there's also an epidemic that's occurring within the pandemic. And a lot of this has been fueled by technology and just our smartphones and Zoom and you name it, which is loneliness. Isn't it crazy how we can surround ourselves with tons of people and have tons of friends online and, and have a great online social media presence? But inside... We're still lonely. There's, there's a huge study now on just the impact of loneliness and the impact this has not only on our mental health, our emotional health, our spiritual health, also our biological or physical health. And after all the studies, they came up to one summary which said that it's equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day, living a life of loneliness and struggling with loneliness. The damage, the impact that this has on our body is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And a big product, a big uh, reason that many of us struggle with loneliness is our smartphone. And I, wanna, I came across this nice quote, and I want to share with you guys this quote that I came across. It came from a book. I didn't read it myself. It's called 12, Days, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. He wrote this. The smartphone is causing a social reversal. The desire to be alone in public and also never alone in seclusion. One more time. The smartphone is causing a social reversal, the desire to be alone in public and never alone in seclusion. Like, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes when we're in big social gatherings, maybe at the eight, and, like, we're ready to just go back into our car and what? Be on our phone. But then when we're on our phone, we desire then to, to be in, 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 in public. And we're, we always have this tension. And think about this. Think about when you go eat out. What is the first thing that you take out of your pocket and you put right on your table, right next to you, right next to your plate? Our phone. And, and there was studies that showed, do you know what this, this um, what is this saying, like, without even being verbalized? This is saying, I'm with somebody for, for lunch or dinner, but you're not as important as this device here next to me. I have it next to me just in case a notification comes or a vibration or a ring. I want to be able to check it. You're cool, this, but this is more important. So I'm putting this right important. It, it makes us feel that we are important. It makes us feel like we're waiting for something. And, and the, the studies can go on and on as far as what happens to us chemically when we get that vibration or that ring. There's phantom vibration where we feel like there's always something awaiting me, another notification, and I can't wait to check it. And we get antsy. It, it becomes a drug. And, there's, and the, the studies go on and on. But all of this is under the umbrella of what many of us struggle with, which is loneliness. If we're honest with ourselves, it is the phone that we go to to cope with our struggles. Like, just don't, don't look that past, don't look that far back into your own hardship or struggle that maybe you're going through now. When, when the anxiety is rising, what is your go-to? You open that app and scroll away. We cope with our struggles. If it is loneliness or some other struggle, we end up going to our phone thinking that will ease the pain. 
But in reality, it's adding more gas to the fire. Just in case you decide to fall asleep, let me get to the bottom line of today's talk at the eight. When strife hits us, relationships are essential in our endurance. When strife hits us, when hardship and pain hits us, and if, you, if, not, if you've never gone through a hardship, I would love to talk to you because th this is something we can all relate to. We've all go through hardships. If we want to realize it or not, as much as we try to dismiss it and put it to the side and try to keep busy and run away from it. But when, I didn't say if, but when strife hits us, relationships are essential in our endurance. And I don't want to just talk about it. You, you, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. So I don't want to just talk about it from a psychological perspective of the importance of, of relationships and our social health. I'm not, I don't want to talk about it just from a, from a psychological perspective. I want to talk about it from a divine perspective. So we've been looking at the past couple weeks only one narrative that's been driving this three-part series in which St. Luke, who was a physician and an artist who did comprehensive research of, of, of elaborating and describing everything of Jesus' life. He has a two-volume set. It's a good way to look at it. He records the gospel according to St. Luke, but he also records the records of the early apostles, in, which is the book after the four gospels titled The Acts of the Apostles. Very clever title. So these are his two volumes that St. Luke wrote. And there's this record that he records of St. Paul and St. Silas, who are missionaries on a, on a, on a mission, and they're, and they're going to different places telling people about who Jesus is. Long story short, you can look at the other two uh, parts, like online or on the podcast, if, but I'll, I'll just summarize it real quick. They're walking. People are trying to give them a hard time about nonsense. There, there's no reason why they're giving Paul and Silas a hard time. They end up putting Paul and Silas in, in, in jail unjustly. So they're in jail, there's a jailer watching them, and then all of a sudden, there's a natural earthquake that occurs. Because of the earthquake, everything is like just destroyed, and they're able to walk away from, from the jail. But at the same time, the jailer is about to kill, his, uh, kill himself, because now his career has been shattered. He had one job, he had one job. He had one job to watch Paul and Silas. But now an earthquake occurred, Paul and Silas are able to walk out, the jailer knows he's about to like, be excommunicated or terminated or lose his job, and he cannot take it. The pressure is so much, the depression is so much that he attempts to take his life, and St. Paul tries to put him at ease. And St. Paul tells him this. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. What does he say? Don't, don't worry. We didn't just run out the door because of the earthquake and we found the exit and, and the doors open. We're still here. Okay, just chill. Don't, don't, don't hurt yourself. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer then takes Paul and Silas. Get, he gets a lamp or finds some type of light because obviously earthquake, there's no electricity. There, so he finds light. He comes and trembles and, and gives reverence to Paul and Silas because he notices something different about them. Because logic would say, you jet out that door. You've been in jail unjustly. Man, you see that the, there's an earthquake. You run outside the door, and you run as fast as you can. But he stays. And the jailer shows respect to Paul and Silas because he noticed something different about them. And the jailer asks a question. Sirs, Paul, Silas, what must I do to find life, to be saved? There's something different about you too. Like no other human would do what you're doing. No other human is going to in, in, endure being in jail unjustly and sing praises. And I heard you guys singing praises and talking to God in the midst of this hardship. That's weird within itself, but okay, fine. 
but then earthquake and you decide not to run, there's something different about you. It looks like you are rooted and fastened to something bigger than yourselves. What must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. As if he is convicting this man, this father, this husband. He says, I want you to put your trust in the God-man. Put your trust in God incarnate. Put your trust in Jesus. Go all in toward him with your hardships, with your insecurities, with your pain. But not just you. This is not just an individualistic journey. You, your spouse, your kids. You have a divine responsibility as a father, as a husband. So you need to be all in. This is not just a you thing. This is not just you and God. If you're going to be all in, this impacts every aspect of your life. Not to go off tangent, but here we see evidence of baptism for kids. Like they were saved. And what we, we, we know from other manuscripts, in order for someone to be saved, there is baptism. So we understood that, that this jailer's house, his wife and his kids were baptized and were saved. And they continued to pursue God through the thick and the thin. The amazing thing is the jailer then invites them over to his house. And they wash the wounds and the scars and the, and the pains and the aches and the feet of Paul and Silas as an expression of love to Paul and Silas. When it was daylight, the magistrates, which are like the top dog authorities of the town, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. Sorry, let me rewind. So the, after the jailer washed Paul and Silas' feet, they ended up going back to jail. <laughs> Paul and Silas said, you know what, let's, let's abide by this, this pathetic court system. Let's go back to jail for the sake of the jailer, and let's just see what God has in store. So they go back to jail. But the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, you know what, you can release these guys. You can release Paul and Silas. The jailer told Paul, he told him, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas can be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Get out of here. You got the green light. You can leave now. But Paul said to the officers, and I'm just now, this is the body language. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm Paul and Silas, and now when I read this, this is what I feel. This is how Paul said this. So Paul said to the, to the officers, so let me get this straight. You beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. You threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. What is Paul saying? With all attitude. Saying, wait, time out. So you do this to me, you put us in prison unjustly, we're put, we're, you, you did all this, and now you can just say for us to leave? Uh-uh. And I'm a Roman citizen? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Like, I, I can just imagine him just going, his body language and his attitude is all up in their face. Saying, I, I'm not going to just go out quickly like that. Have you ever been in a situation yourself where you, like, you, you know you had to have that difficult conversation, but maybe you just didn't have enough courage to push it, and you eventually did, and you had to have that clear and direct conversation about that topic. It's with a kid, a coworker, a parent, a family. You had to address it. Here's Paul. Come with boldness. And he didn't just say, okay, fine, now we can leave. All right, come on, Silas, let's go. No, he says, hold up. So all this occurs, and we have, a, we have the magic card saying that we're Roman citizen. so we should be given extra respect because of who we are. And now you just want us to just, you feel like you can just come and say, come and go as we wish? I don't think so. 
The officers reported this to the magistrates, the, the top dogs of the city. The officers reported what Paul and Silas just said to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They were like, oh, man, we didn't know they're Roman citizens. We sh maybe we shouldn't have done that in the first place. They came to appease them, to kind of put them at ease, and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. So Paul and Silas, I'm sure, were like, yeah, that's what I thought. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, now imagine, all this was done to you unjustly. Now you have been released, and, and you, you gave it to them. You gave it to the magistrates. You gave it to the officers. You, you gave them a piece of your mind, and you spoke rightly. You're not disrespecting, but you spoke justly and right. What would you do? Like, I, I, I don't know the answer to myself. I'm just asking. Like, if all this was done to me unjustly, and now I walk out, and I kind of give them this look as I'm walking out, kind of just like, what would you do? They went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Who's Lydia? If we look at the rest of the book of Acts, we see now Lydia, she was a very wealthy woman. And this is kind of weird. We can't really relate, but she sold the color purple. Okay, like so she sold things that were purple because that's like a really fine color and it was very like it was, it was hard to come across. Okay, this is just the cultural time and the historical time of what's going on. So Lydia was a very wealthy woman. Some historians say she was a widow uh, and, and she was very wealthy and very hospitable. Like she, she, she knows that what she has been entrusted with from God, she was a recent convert to Christianity. But because of her hospitality and because of the wealth in which she has been entrusted with from God, she invites, she, she, she brings Paul and Silas into her house. They went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Just so you know, Lydia, if you look at other Christian manuscripts, many Orthodox churches title her being equal to the apostles. Equal to the apostles. Lydia. Like the, the, the church shows so much honor and reverence because she has been gifted with wealth and, 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 and have a, a huge heart for hospitality, that the church labels her as being equal to the apostles. Like she welcomes Paul and Silas to her house. And, 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 and she, they're with other companions, other friends, brothers and sisters, and encourage them. Who are these other brothers and sisters? Now let's look at another epistle, another letter that St. Paul wrote to the city of Rome. I, don't, I, didn't, I was too lazy to write down the names of all the other brothers and sisters, so I just did a Google image search. These are the other people that were with Paul and Silas, the names that I can't even pronounce. But why am I making this a big deal? This is St. Paul's social circle. Do not think that they just walked around and, they, and like Paul and Silas were just like, you know, levitating above the floor because God was with them all the time. You don't think you would be discouraged or even mentally depressed if you were in jail in, in isolation in a dark place and you're trying to hold on to prayer. You're trying to hold on to just talking and singing to him. And you know what was done unjustly. You want this jailer to kill his, himself because you felt this will be justice and this will help with your own pain. But then you push past that and you extend grace to him and you talk to him even though you really don't want to talk to him. And he ends up bouncing that same grace back and invites you to your house and he washes your feet. And now you've given it to the magistrates that have treated you unjustly. And you go to Lydia's house. You need people to pick you up, to encourage you. And St. Paul is very vulnerable about that. That if you look at Romans 16, he doesn't just say, here are my friends. No, he doesn't list them. He says, I, I, I was encouraged. I, I, I needed to be picked up 
by Diana, by Flora. I, I don't even know how to pronounce half of them, so I'm not going to say them. But he, he goes through the list in uh, Romans 16 of how he needed their encouragement. He invested in them, and they invested in him. This is what helped him to keep on going and persevere and endure strife. The best part, after Paul and Silas came out, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then what? Then they left. <laughs> they were empowered enough. Their tank was full now by being surrounded by edifying company of iron sharpening iron. Then they moved forward. My question for you. Who aids you endure? Who's your social circle? It might not necessarily be your coworkers and friends, and not, not like those who you watch, like you know, basketball with or play with. Who helps you endure? Who helps you when you're at the lowest point? Do you invest in them and vice versa, for them to pick you up? Do you have that? Saint Paul, the apostle, if he was vulnerable to share the names specifically, and, and he didn't just say, "I'm thankful for my friends." No, he lists them one by one. Do you have people in your life that aid you in enduring the strife that we go through? And I'm going to say this, and I know not many of us will do this. But do you thank them? Like, do you go to people who help you endure and says, you know what? Thank you for hearing me out the other day. I know this is awkward. I know this was years ago, but I just wanted to let you know, thank you for helping me during that tough time. Do we do that? Or we feel that's kind of awkward? Makes us feel like, yeah, like, especially us guys, right? We don't want that. But do we do that? It's not a guy or a girl thing. Do we thank them by name? Who aids you endure? Another question. Are you available to others? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, when somebody texts me, I text them back. Yeah, eventually. We're all busy. We are all busy. We're all busy. We choose what to be busy with, but we're all busy. But do you have margin in your life for you to be available? Are you available to others? Or did you find a nice Christian saying for someone, oh, may God be with you, uh, God willing, everything will be fine. Do you, you, do you go to your go-to Christian statements? Or are you available? No, 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 not just uh, like uh, on your phone. Are you mentally, emotionally? We cannot be available for everyone. I get it. But do for one what you wish you could do for all. Are there people in which you, you have an itch for you to be available for them? But you say, well, they would understand I'm just busy. And we justify why we keep on being busy and busy and run away from being available. Are you available to others? The best thing about the first century church is that we can emulate other people who have struggled to endure strife, we call them the saints of the church. And we look at their stories, we look at their testimony, we see their struggle, and we see how they found, found victory. And that empowers us, that encourages us. This is why in the first century church, in the Orthodox church, saints are a big deal. Endurance is communal. We're not designed to endure alone. This is not how we're wired. Like, science shows this, which is then given from the divine designer of science. Like, science, psychology makes this clear. Endurance is communal. We're not intended to endure alone. It's impossible. 
like just, just scientifically, but God is one who ordains science. Endurance is communal. We are St. Mark Coptic Orthodox Church. I know I sound silly, but I just to make sure we all understand, Coptic is an ancient Egyptian language. And here is one Coptic word for you. Piathlovoros is how you pronounce this. In many of the hymnologies of the church, in many of the hymns of the church, for us to describe the saints, this Coptic term is used. Piathlovoros. Piathlovoros. And I remember as a kid, like, we're trying to just figure out what is, what is this in English? Like, this was, like, before, like, any apps, obviously, and we're, and we're trying to just see what other books we can get our hand on as far as any translation. And some books would translate it as struggle bear, someone who is bearing struggle. They would say the saint is bearing struggle. And some translations had it as victorious. And I remember I was young, I was like, which one is it? These are very different terms. How can a word to describe the saints, either them being victorious or someone who bears struggle. How can the same, like, uh, there, there, somebody messed up in the translation. It can be both. The reality is, yes, it's both. It's the same. Someone who bears struggle is victorious. So what do we say about the saints, the martyrs, who have endured strife? They bore struggle, but they are victorious. There is victory in the struggle. There is victory in the struggle. Do we want the victory now? You and me both, believe me. But if we're pursuing a God who transcends time, then it's up to him to determine when that victory will come. But we know the victory will come. In what capacity, how, when, that's not our department. But we know bearing the struggle will lead to victory if our eyes are on him, if we're wanting to persevere and push through. As I mentioned in the, in the other talks, this series is based on a song, She Came With the Spices. And one of the verses of the song is which we, we talk about this, uh, this saint. His name is Saint Moses the Strong, which he, he is Ethiopian. But just, I, I, I want to just give a really short summary of his story because it's super cool. He was a, 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 like a, a straight-up gangster, like straight-up thug. Like the, 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 even the song calls him Bandit. He was a desert bandit, which is cool. I, I, how many times do you hear the word bandit? So, so he, he was a straight-up gangster. And he was like near the Nile, like, and just stealing from different people's houses. And like, you know, some dogs were like chasing him. So he ends up running to try to find coverage. And where does he end up running into? A monastery. So he ends up in the monastery, and one conversation led to another. So he had one social circle of, of friends that pushed him to do the wrong things. But then because of, like, one thing led to another, naturally he ends up in, 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 in a monastery and being a, surrounded by another group of, 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 of friends. And those monks end up empowering him, encouraging him, motivating him. And his life was never the same. And his, his story is unbelievable. His story is unbelievable. And this is the verse that we say in the song. Moses' life was evil. Every sin he did commit. But from this desert bandit, a shining lamp was lit. Struggle's not going anywhere. Victory awaits us. But it requires us not to fasten ourselves to things like this. I'm nothing against this. But ultimately, 
to fasten to the one who says, I have come to make all things new. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let us stand and pray together this song one last time. She came with the spices to thy tomb, O Lord, knowing not that thou above the earth had sworn. She came void of all home, she came expecting death, forgetting the life giver who is the living bread. In trials and tribulations, do we not do the same? Looking at our errors, despairing in our blame. How often do we wallow, abandoning all home, as though on our own with burden we couldn't come. If Peter lost all hope when our Lord exposed his sin, Luke would not record the three thousand he would win. If Paul considered nothing but his murderous past, would his inspired letters to this generation last? Moses' life was evil, every sin he did commit. But from this desert bend, and a shining lamp was lit. If Mary Jim's Harlan had not tried to win his grace, would she now be in heaven? Would she have won the race? Our Lord set an example, compelled we do the same. Fine stripe persevere, and on us will be no blame. If our loving Savior had not endured all pain, would redemption and salvation ever be our gain? I come now with hope to thy tomb, O Lord, knowing that in truth above the earth and soar. I come now with joy, I come expecting life, knowing that through thee I can endure all we can endure all strife. We can, but only through you. Lord, we know that we are weak and frail alone. We are designed to endure hardships with others who are trying to pursue you. And this is the power of the church. 
Lord, I pray that we never lose hope and find ourselves in a pit of losing all hope, feel that we are in this alone. But Lord, this struggle belongs to you. This struggle is there to give us edification and for us to find life. Lord, we hold on to that truth. We hold on to your resurrection because it is through you overcoming death. This is what empowers us to overcome the darkness in our lives. Lord, give us this strength, this perseverance in which St. Moses had, the same strength and perseverance in which St. Mary of Egypt had, the same strength and perseverance as St. Peter had, the same strength and perseverance and endurance as St. Paul and St. Silas had, and we are not any different, and we are the continuation of their story because they hold on to you, we hold on to you. Through their prayers, and through the prayers of all the saints. Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.